0: There's a very famous line that fans say all the time when they refer to Mon Mathma, which is, many Bodhans died to bring you this news. For me, there was always a pain at the heart of it. You could see that she was carrying a pain, and I was really curious about what that was. What has happened in this woman's life? What has it cost to be her? What are the sacrifices that she has had to make along the way to be that leader of a rebellion?
1: A hearty yubnub, everybody, because yes, we've got Ewoks on the brain yet again while well, I... I promise we are not going to delve back into the Ewok TV movies of the 1980s. Yes, we We, are. We we (laughs) will be revisiting the forest mood of Endor yet again as we talk a little Return of the Jedi with our special guest, Darren Franich, because Darren has a bit of a Star Wars hot take involving episode six that he's going to share with us. What it is, and will we and you agree, time shall tell here on the Dagobah Dispatch. Plus, we have Mon Mothma herself, Genevieve O'Reilly, joining us to talk all about the Senate and the Rebellion, and yes, the upcoming Andor series on Disney+. I'm Dalton Ross, joined as always by Devin Cogan. The princess slash scoundrel known as Lauren Morgan is out this week on a secret mission for this podcast, actually, that shall be explained in full detail when she is back next week. So for now, you're just stuck with us. How are you doing, Devin?
2: I'm good. I'm good. I, I, you know, now that Lauren's not here, I'm taking up the. Um, I'm going to just talk a lot about the animated series and about how much I hate Rise of Skywalker. So I'm really going to try to try to fill fill her shoes. Well,
1: the, you've already you've got a lot of shoes that you're filling this week uh, because it's a big week for you. Lord of the Rings is launching this week along with your new Lord of the Rings podcast, All Rings Considered, which will be uh, out in just a few days, and that's super exciting as well.
2: Yeah, so if you um like hearing me nerd out about Star Wars, you will uh, especially like hearing me nerd out about Lord of the Rings with our um our colleague and my co-host Christian Holleb who was a guest last week on this podcast. So we there's a lot of discussion of instead of Ewoks, there's a lot of, you know, dwarves and elves and and rings and magical jewelry.
1: They have swords, just not laser swords. I think that's the big difference between the the franchises. Um, Everyone should make sure to go check that out. You can find it uh, wherever you get your podcast. Well, speaking of Lord of the Rings, let's bring in a guy who I know is a huge fan of the new Lord of the Rings Amazon (laughs) series uh, and a former EW Star Wars podcast host himself. Darren Franich is hanging out with us this week. What's going on?
3: So excited to be here. Uh, And can I just say, uh, I apologize in advance because you know the Dagobah dames and the Dagobah dude, you guys have been on a great trajectory recently. Uh, just a lot of fun conversations, and what I'm going to say today is the opinion that when I tell it to people, they either tell me maybe you're right, but I don't care, or shut up, <laughs> you're wrong, I hate you. So I'm, I, 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 I'm, I'm hoping, I'm hoping, I'm not going to like blow up the Dago Ba podcast too much today. So thank you for having me, and I apologize in advance. Well.
1: I think that Devin, it's probably a good thing Lauren Morgan is not here this week. It wasn't planned this way, but like Lauren was like, she was probably around like five years old, five, six years old, seven years old when this came out, right? So she's like, this is prime nostalgia time for her. Like, so I feel like she would be very upset. And she loves the Ewok. She likes the, you know, Ewok TV movie. So I feel like this would be a tough one for her. But we welcome all opinions on this podcast, and that's the fun. Of loving Star Wars is we all have the things we love or loathe in the franchise, and we don't always have to agree. It's fun to talk about it.
2: We welcome those opinions, but we also uh, welcome the uh, opportunity to tell the holders of those opinions how incredibly wrong That's they exactly are right. in many, in many cases. <laughs> well, so so
1: let's let's set the table here for everyone listening, because we know Darren has a hot take when it comes to Return of the Jedi, a very unpopular opinion that he holds. So let's find out what it is. Then let's tell him how wrong he is. And uh, we'll take it from there. Darren, what do you got on return of the Jedi?
3: Well, look, return of the Jedi is a bad movie. It is a bad movie through and through. It is a bad movie that anyone viewing it with even semi-coherent adult eyes can acknowledge it's a bad movie. But having said that, I do want to point out that like five-year-old me is inside of me somewhere, locked up in a cage, screaming, trying to punch me in the face. Like Return of the Jedi of the original trilogy is the movie I've found. I don't know if you guys think this. Um, It is the one that kids of a certain age, and I guess I would say maybe two or three generations raised before the prequels kind of became the new youth canon. Um, It's the one they feel closest to because it's the most kind of child friendly in some ways. And part of that is the Ewoks. Part of that is, you know, the kind of Muppet parade in Jabba's palace. Part of that is that the dialogue is very bad. And as kids, you don't tend to notice that. Part of that is that the new Death Star kind of looks cool and you don't realize that just doing another Death Star is the most boring idea for how to end the series. So I I understand that. Like, this is the one that as a kid, I think certainly before there were other trolls to choose from, it was the one I think as, as, as kids we tended to feel the closest to. And I just think that like, if you watch it with fresh eyes, even if you watch it right after Empire Strikes Back, which is great when you're a kid and great, whatever you watch it, it, there's a major downturn in quality right from the start that kind of runs throughout the movie. Um, So I, I've, I've felt this pretty much ever since I did a back-to-back viewing in my early twenties and whenever I watch Return of the Jedi, I want to sort of say, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there's more here, but I, I guess just the, the Richard Marquand direction is a big issue for me compared to what Irvin Kirshner was doing in Empire. So that's, that's, kind of where I'm coming from with Return of the Jedi. We'll just add one more thing. Yeah. It's the worst of the Ewok movies. Lauren Morgan is definitely right about one thing, which is that the Ewok movies wow. made for TV are notably better than Return of the Jedi. Dude, you have not seen Caravan wow. of Courage. He clearly has not sat through Caravan of oh Courage. I've watched, it, no I've watched it. I've watched it.
2: Darren, there's just like random llamas in Caravan of Courage, not even like space llama. This is the thing like I can't shut up about.
3: Devin's dislike for llamas, by the way, is, is my new favorite canonical takedown of anything. That's just like, listen, like, <laughs> there's issues in this movie there's magic now but what are the llamas doing in the star wars are they galaxy? in the lord of the rings
2: are they in middle earth do they have llamas <laughs> in middle earth i you? haven't seen any they have normal horses though see here's the thing i love llamas irl like i'm a big fan of llamas on earth i just don't know why they're on endor or the ferrets why are there so many ferrets <laughs> so so let there, darren
1: said a lot uh, it's gonna be interesting because i think Devin, we have not done a, like a return of the jedi deep dive but i've picked up a little bit of what Devin's laid down. I think our thoughts on the movie are pretty similar. So let, let's, let's take the movie chronologically sort of into because I feel like there's three big sections to uh Jedi. So let's start with Jabba's palace because you had some uh, derogatory things to say about that scene. And, I sort of feel like Devin and I are super duper and I'm going to throw Christian Holub in here as well. I'm going to speak for him even though he's not here. We are super duper pro Java's palace section of return of the Jedi. Am I speaking out of turn here, Devin?
2: That is 100% correct. You know, Darren, you talked about how, you know, Return of the Jedi tends to be like, it's, it's very child, like children love it. This was my favorite when I first watched Star Wars of the three, I was probably five or six years old. Um, We watched them all back to back and I loved all of them. Um, But Return of the Jedi was the one that I would return to a, we love a pun, um, the most frequently. And, you know, I never really got the Ewoks thing. The Ewoks weren't really for me, not in the way they were for for Lauren. But I loved all of the Jabba's palace stuff. I loved um, all of the weird creatures. I loved the music. I loved um, everything with the Sarlacc pit. I love, you know, uh, Luke Skywalker showing up in like a fresh new drip, like head to toe black with the boots and like a brand new lightsaber. Everything about it is just. So much fun and so lived in, and I, the Jabba's palace stuff rules. It's so much fun. It, it. The thing I always talk about in Star Wars is, um, you know, wanting to expand the galaxy. One of my biggest issues with the television shows and the sequel trilogy is how we keep going back to the same characters and the same locations and all of these things. But here we're going back to the same planet, Tatooine, but it's a totally different version of Tatooine. This is not the Mos Eisley Cantina. This is not um, the Lars family farm. This is like this crazy gangster castle filled with salacious B. Crumb and all of these weird characters. Um, it's just—it's so much fun and it's so weird and inventive. And I am extremely pro Jabba's Palace. I, it is my, hands down, my favorite part of Return of the Jedi. And honestly, one of my favorite sequences from the entire original
1: trilogy. Yeah, let, let me double click on this before we let Darren uh, defend his terrible take. Uh, because uh, a, a lot of the, I just want to sort of echo a lot of what Devin said. I sort of feel like this franchise has been constantly trying to recreate the magic of the original cantina scene. And being the the old person on the podcast, I can tell you, watch this in 77, it was a big deal. Like it was like, a, what? Like, you know, with these these characters and they're playing music and, and you know, we've seen them try and do this over and over again with like, you know, it was weird. When you saw it in 77, it was actually weird. And like, you know, the Maz Kanata bar in Force Awakens is a clear mm, attempt whatever. to try and redo the cantina scene. But this is this this not only matches but surpasses the cantina scene because the creatures are cooler. They're not literally bought from like a costume shop. That's why there's like a devil. There's like an, a a devil in in the cantina, which doesn't make sense. <laughs> it feels a lot more dangerous and ominous. I love the care I love Jabba's a cool character, a lot cooler than the one they shot for a. A New Hope, uh, when there's just a dude wearing like a, a, a burlap sack. Uh, Bib Fortuna is cool looking. Salacious B. Crumb. I know Darren's a fan of Salacious B. Crumb. You have uh, Evil Droids working in Jabba's Palace. You have Boba Fett at his coolest. He's not even talking. He's just very slowly nodding his head. Han Solo's in Carbonite up on the wall. And the music Devin spoke about as well. Now delightful. I guess I guess this depends on which music we're talking about, right? Are we talking Lopty Neck or are we talking <laughs> Jedi Rocks? Because there's definitely, I feel, a downgrade in Jedi Rocks. Once, you know, Joe Yauza, and all of a sudden a CGI Psy Snoodles, that's not really my jam. Whose but, jam is that?
3: Find, uh, me, I, okay. find <laughs> me one person whose jam that is. Like, like I gotta say, Lopty Neck is like, a pretty solid pop pop song like that. That is, <laughs> it's a that is a significant downturn. Maybe this is part of the issue: is that like the special edition version of Return of the Jedi tends to have all the worst editions, and yeah, that that new song which was junky in the '90s has aged remarkably poorly.
2: <laughs> but we, but but
1: so so Devin and I really like the creatures. We like the mood in Jabba's palace. You can extend it to the sail barge. You know, Luke's doing badass backflips off the plank. There's you know, console uh, you know, is blind. There's some funny humor in that. Princess Leia is strangling Jabba while wearing one of the most iconic pop culture outfits ever. Um, so what is it about
3: the Jabba section of the movie you don't like? So Jabba's palace is fine because I think those creatures are cool. I'm a big fan of kind of 80s weirdo Henson stuff. Like I think you can slot in yeah. the mood of the palace with something like Labyrinth or even um, uh, uh, the Dark Crystal um, with a qualification. Uh, the qualification is, first of all, all that stuff, that kind of new corner of, of the universe that Devin's talking about, which I do think like whenever someone in the following 30 plus years said, um, we're trying to do like the crime corner of Star Wars, this is what they're talking about. Like you could argue Moss Eisley or Lando or stuff like that, but this is very much like the kind of Star Wars underground black market mood. I appreciate that. Um... The big issue here is you guys are talking about the creatures. They're cool. They're good action figures. Every single one of the lead characters is immediately lamer in this movie than in the last one. I don't agree that new emotionless Luke is cool. Um, I feel like right off the bat, you feel that Carrie Fisher and Harrison Ford are way less invested in these characters. And a lot of the spark of their romance kind of immediately goes out the second that Han returns. And the top level problem is... Just for me, compared to those other Henson movies, which I think look amazing and have only aged like better and better over the years, like the Jabba's Palace stuff is sort of the worst possible way to film puppet things where all the puppets are in a circle and people keep kind of walking into the middle and talking and saying, oh, like, you know, look who I brought with me. Like, I've watched a lot of 70s Sesame Street. And there is like (laughs) better integration of people to puppet characters in a random episode of Sesame street than here. And I think that just kind of comes down to like, again, coming right off empire strikes back where every single scene looks filmed to the like cosmic degree, amazing stuff. I just think there's a little bit of laziness creeping in right to the start. And for me, that starts here. Like I love Jabba, but he's just kind of like, a creature who's just sitting there waiting for people to come up to him. It's just the, the staginess doesn't work for me, even in the way that you guys are talking about. Would also just point out uh, the plan makes no sense. What's the plan? What's the plan here? What was, <laughs> is it just give R2 the lightsaber and we'll figure out a way to make that work at some point? Like I, 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 I like my heist to have at least some, some, uh, ticking clock. We know what we're doing here. Uh, type quality, and I, I, I don't think that the 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 writing of this script gave much room for that.
1: <laughs> I think that the part of the plan makes sense, right? Like, okay, Lando, um, you get Lando in there, you get Chewie in there, you get, you know, you have the 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 lightsaber and the droids. You get people. You're getting people in the palace, right? You're getting people in the palace, but then sort of the the midnight defrosting of Han Solo. That's the part of the plan that doesn't necessarily make sense to me. That doesn't make
3: sense. Right. Uh, If if it's possible for one person to go in undercover, why doesn't everyone go in undercover? Uh, These are, these are all things and I'll throw out too. the Sarlacc is the beginning of what I think is a bigger issue with this movie, which is we're coming off of movies where like on a visual level Every single thing on screen is amazing and totally unique for the time. And, you know, the Death Star and, you know, even like the Super Star Destroyer and the X Wing Fighter. The Sarlacc pit is a hole in the ground that might eat you. I think we're kind of hitting the outer realm of what George Lucas and his collaborators could come up with. And that all leads to where I think we're going next, which is another Death Star, which just two movies away from the first one. I I, I got to ding it a little bit for that. I, I have to say that's that's a major lingering thing that, to me, starts the problems that Devin was just addressing, which is the kind of endless recursion, repetition of stuff from the early movies.
1: I. I'm, We'll definitely get into the second Death Star, but I like the Sarlacc pit. I didn't feel it was repetitive. I felt it was something different. It's sort of a a deep hole with giant gnarly tentacles. I don't like the way Boba Fett died, or I guess now didn't die in it. But, uh, But I thought the Sarlacc pit was cool.
2: I, one of my, my Star Wars hot take is that Boba Fett is lame and bad at his job, which, uh, makes so many people angry when I say that. True. But think about this it. He's untrue. so bad at his job. Like literally, he's so incompetent through this, in, through all of the movies. Um, he is extremely lame. He like literally just gets like bonked on the head by, by, uh, han solo and then just like gets eaten by a giant hole in the ground um no my my hottest take is that he is lame and that he has the lamest death in star wars and i love it is my i just that is that is my hot take and that makes people so mad when i say that because everybody's like boba fett was so cool and like his armor came out and we like saw him in the Chris in the holiday special and we were like oh my god he's so mysterious and i'm like yeah he's really lame He's super lame.
1: I don't feel like there's a mountain of ev- ev- evidence of lameness here. I agree, it's a lame death, but I, I don't feel Darren he does anything lame in Empire.
3: He's the only one that tracks on Solo. Well, I'll just throw out. So, so one thing to point out is, you know, for me when I was coming up in Star Wars, that was like the golden age of the dark horse Star Wars comics, and that's what I associate Boba Fett and kind of Jabba with. Those are great things if they're available anywhere. I- I'm not sure if they've made it through the various corporate permutations, but that's like that's where I, I think of Boba Fett doing cool stuff. I have to say, Devin, you're making me realize that. At least in the movies it's almost like jango fett is this really cool guy who's like you know taking on jedi and stuff like this and like you know he dies in this huge battle and then his his son's just like i'm gonna be like my dad and then just spends his life careening careening helplessly (laughs) between i mean he he he's a good tracker i think we can agree on that though that's what that's what dalton's saying he's he's good he's he's good at the hunting not so good at the kind of you know up-close work with, with his bounty.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, that's the only... What, what else are we talking about? What's the other mountain of evidence uh, in terms of how bad he is his job other than, like, what is... I think his jetpack gets hit by a blonde, ha, bl- blind Han Solo, right? Like, that's the only thing he does. He doesn't really do a lot else in, in Jedi. Well,
2: the thing is, he doesn't do anything. Everybody's like, he's so cool. He's so badass. Do you ever, like, name one cool thing that he does, except for, like, Vader being, like, no disintegrations. Like, he doesn't there's no cool shootouts like literally he doesn't even like do that much to like deliver um you know Han Solo to Vader like literally you know just they uh, basically Lando does more to deliver him than L- you know actually
1: listen you know I'm a Cad Bane guy so as long as we're all agreeing Cad Bane's cooler than Boba Fett then I'll let, then I'll let this conversation don't go. Wanna, Oh, absolutely. I want to co-sign well, that. I'm already
3: co-signing <laughs> one thing. I don't want to <laughs> I don't want to co-sign that.
2: Anyway, I I think that Boba Fett should have stayed dead, and um, that's my that's my Star Wars hot take. But um, no, everything in in Jabba's palace rules, including Bob Boba Fett getting swallowed. I agree. If I had a
1: buzzer, I'd be buzzing Darren right now. And eh, for that section of the movie, and eh, he gets buzzed. Um, all right, let's let before we get into the space stuff, let's just I don't know. Do we have to talk Ewoks? Like, I mean, I think we're probably all in pretty close agreement on the Ewok stuff. Darren, we're not. I think you? we're Listen, a little
3: Ewoked out. L- let me just barge in here. Um. You guys are great. It was wonderful to hear the general dissection of Caravan of Courage. And Dalton, I I was very happy to hear someone finally admit that Battle for Endor is the Citizen Kane of something. Um, (laughs) But I have to say, as we're edging into the Ewok quadrant of the movie, um, if what you want is Ewoks, if you say to yourself, I need an Ewok-based node of entertainment content, then... I just think that Ewok movies are better options for you than Return of the Jedi, because those movies are very strange and come from a time where there was no top-down rules or requirements about any franchise, anything. So to me, you got Ewoks who are sort of magic and can kind of speak English and are sort of farmers, and they live adjacent to like apparently a lot of horrifying monster creatures and a guy with a castle and all this <laughs> stuff. like. If you want that, and if you want that, I assume you are like my six-year-old self, those are the movies for you. Return of the Jedi, they're just there to make the main characters, who are some of the best characters in movie history, seem very, very lame. <laughs> well, they are trying to eat them. <laughs> they they capture Han Solo, who is one of the coolest <laughs> human beings ever captured on film. I—I I, This is the stuff where I'm like, it's sort of, they're they're pulling what should be fun and interesting down to their level. And I think that's, this, this to me is, I think we can agree, the movie starts to take a general downturn.
2: See, I have a little bit of a rebuttal to that, because I think the reason Han Solo works on screen is that, yes, he is cool, but he is also extremely dorky. He's From the minute we meet him, he is just like, he is a hustler pretending to be cool. You know, everything he does is awkward. He's bad at talking to princesses. He's bad at pretending to be a stormtrooper. He's the, um, everything's fine. How are you? Like, he's he's just sort of like bumbling his way through things, but he's got a heart of gold and he's like pretty suave and can kind of like, you know, um, he's got that Harrison Ford charm. So he can sort of like fake his way through situations. So of course he gets captured by Ewoks. He's a total dork and we love him because he's a total dork. But I do get a little, when people are like Han Solo is so cool. Yes, he's extremely cool. He's also a supreme Dork.
3: Devin, who in the Star Wars franchise is good at their job? No, no, no. She's not saying he's bad at his job. She's just kind of saying a lot of that is kind of like. He's
2: like kind of awkward. And that's one of the things I love about him. And and something that I think a lot of people misunderstand about Han Solo is when they try to write Han Solo esque characters, they just write them as like super suave and like the best pilot in the galaxy. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, no, he's like, he thinks he's the best pilot in the galaxy and he's pretty damn good, but he also like does a lot of really dumb stuff. And so, and that's why I love him. I think
3: what you're hitting on is like a lot of his ability to do what he does comes from the fact that his partner is like a super strong, tall, like Wookiee, who's also great. And like, it's almost like that allows him to be maybe a lot better and more imposing than he would be otherwise. Um, but I will say, Devin, what you're addressing to me is maybe the bigger issue with Return of the Jedi is like, the first time we meet Han Solo, at least the first time I met him, he was killing Greedo. Like, you you wanna say he's sort of a dork here and there. That's true. He's also like a cold-blooded killer. Return of the Jedi is very much the beginning of this franchise, and I think this comes right from George Lucas, sort of being like, well, I think this is for kids, so everyone should be like a little bit nicer and a little bit less of a firecracker, and everyone should get along a little bit more. And I just think, again, to me, coming from Empire to this you feel that in all of the main characters. Like, you know, Leia, who in Empire is just like, to me, I would say truly capital C cool, like no messing around about it. Like here, she seems a little bit diminished. She's kind of happily in love. She has to kind of be the person who gets along with the Ewoks. Like these are all things that I feel like do not play to Carrie Fisher's strength. You know, again, Luke is super impetuous and that's all kind of gone in this movie. I just think that like, you know these are all these are all part of the same things that ewoks symbolize which is like we were kind of making this movie for a different age group and now we're just very much targeting it in a way that does a disservice to the main characters i i, I think like I, I think there's a definite downturn in what they even seem capable of doing like um, there's not really any interpersonal drama anymore in Return of the Jedi, except for the Vader stuff, which, which we'll get to in, in, a, in a second.
2: You're not wrong on that. I, I definitely would say the first Star Wars and Empire are more, um, certainly they present their characters in a more complex way. There's a little bit more um, kind of morally gray areas and a little bit more it's it's a slightly more interesting view of the universe. I think uh return of the jedi is a little bit more like and we've got our heroes and they have yeah. to save the day and and you know that's always what star wars has been about but I think there's been some like fun morally ambiguous stuff um that made you know uh, a new hope and uh empire so delightful. So I, I don't think you're wrong but I think um I don't know. I I just I I think it works a little bit better than you say it does. I think the
1: Ewok stuff generally works, but it only it only works for little kids. You know what I mean? The way it worked for Darren when he was a little kid, the way it, well, I guess it still works for Lauren Morgan, but like the way it, <laughs> I, I think that it like, so, but I, but you know, it doesn't, if you're really good, you're making stuff like Pixar has learned how to do. Um, maybe they've lost that ability a little bit of late, but like stuff that works on two levels works for kids, but also works for adults. The Ewoks stuff if you watch it as an adult, if you just watched it as an adult, I don't see how you could find it that.
3: And I would even say, I mean, I, I you know, I, I don't know how you guys feel to me, you know, the, the big thing on Endor besides the Ewoks is, well, you, you could argue the, the at but it's basically like, it's the speeder bikes. And like, I hate to say it. They don't make any sense you're in a forest. Like, if you go that fast, you're always going to (laughs) die. Like, like, you (laughs) know, like, like, and and I know we're talking about Star Wars where, you know, there's all kinds of things that maybe don't make uh, intrinsically technological sense, but like, you know, snow speeders, those make total sense. Those are built for those things. Like, tauntauns as a steed, those are perfect for going out in the ice. Like, a speeder bike. You're in a forest. This isn't a cleared out space. Like you know, it, it, I mean, I, 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 I'm stunned that more stormtroopers aren't just like running into trees as they as they go speeding through yeah. the, the the fourth. But move. I do
2: think that is part of the plot of of this movie is that the stormtroopers are woefully unprepared for endor they're just like they show up and they're like wait there's there's teddy bears and like i'm not prepared for any i think they are extremely unprepared for
1: well, everything is, on endor what is what is the hierarchy like are scout troopers below stormtroopers and where are snowtroopers
3: like how does that? Nobody work? wants like, to be a snowtrooper. Get... Oh man, that that is not <laughs> like when you jo- like when you join up. The place everyone wants to go is the island planet in uh, Rogue One. Scarif. That's that's where yeah, like, yes. like, that's that's yeah. like the Hawaii for for um, for Empire postings. And if you don't get that, you pray you're not posted up as a snowtrooper.
1: <laughs> I w- I will say maybe this is because of my difference in age when I saw the movies, but I felt like the speeder bike scene, whether it makes sense or not was exciting. Like I remember like really liking that scene and I remember not being into the pod racing scene in Phantom Menace. Like there was a bunch of, and when Phantom Menace came out, all the hype was about the pod racing scene. Um, I mean, as much as there was hype about Phantom Menace, that was the scene everyone was talking about when it obviously should have been the lightsaber battle, but the pod racing scene really didn't do anything to me. Maybe it was those annoying announcers. I don't know what it was. But that didn't really, like, I wasn't sitting in the theater and uh, uh, admiring the marvel of filming that scene where I kind of was when I watched the speeder bike scene.
2: I remember loving the the sound design of the speeder yes. bike scene. I feel like there's some really good sound as we hear, like, the bikes, like, racing through the forest. Like, I, I remember really loving that, um, which... Shocker, a Star Wars movie has great sound. Um, but, you know, we, we've talked a lot about this movie, and I think it is fair to say that, you know, the the directing is definitely a step down from, from Empire. Um, and so I'm going to take this opportunity to tell one of my favorite what-if stories about the Star Wars universe, which is, I don't know if, if you guys have heard this story. I'm sure Darren has heard this story as a huge David Lynch fan. But the time George Lucas asked David Lynch to direct Return of the Jedi, I think about it, I kid you not, like once a day. Like, I think about it all the time. Like, what would our world look like if David Lynch directed Return of the Jedi? And there's an incredible clip where David Lynch basically tells the story of how he had a meeting with George Lucas and George is like taking him around his office and showing him like concept art of Wookiees. And David Lynch is like, and I could just feel a headache (laughs) coming on. And the more I looked at all of this concept art. (laughs) And then he said, George picked him up in his Ferrari and like drove him up the California coast and took him to a restaurant where they only served salads. And, And David Lynch tells this story about how he's like, I mean, I love a salad, but they only, only served salads and he's like and i could just feel the headache turning into a migraine and i was like i don't want to do this <laughs> so i think about that all the time what what david lynch could the, could have brought to return of the jedi like how weird the ewoks would have been how creepy and bizarre i just i think about it all the time i i just it
3: is it consumes my there would brain have been like 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 if you could have like really experimented there would have been sort of a like this sort of non-linear narrative where you're kind of like wait a second was han solo dead the whole time in that movie like what <laughs> like i mean Kyle McLaughlin
2: shows up for like like a random cameo.
3: Dennis Hopper's putting like air masks on Ewoks, you know. Just like what I think is great about that story is like you know because we have Dune, David Lynch's Dune. There is sort of like a halfway feeling of what it might have looked like for him to do a space opera, and um, I'm forgetting his name. I I think it's like Baron Harkonnen in that movie. Almost sort of looks like a human Jabba the Hutt. Like he's he's like the in between of that guy that. of of burlap sack guy and like puppet Jabba. But I do think, Devin, what's, you know, the core of that story is like, I think the headache and migraine was coming from David Lynch's awareness of like, I'm not really being asked to direct this movie the way I want to. I'm I'm sort of being asked to be, you know, I I would almost say in some respects, Return of the Jedi is maybe the first true like show run franchise movie. Um, You know, Mm -hmm. there's stories back and forth, but I do think that Irvin Kershner, somewhat like objectively, had a lot more control over individual scenes and set pieces in *Empire Strikes Back*. And I think everyone agrees that it was sort of his and Harrison Ford's on-the-spot, um, you know, alterations that made the "I love you, I know" scene happen, which is one of the best scenes in movie history. And it does seem as if in this one, you know, no disrespect to Richard Marquand, Lucas was looking for someone who just sort of followed directions. And I think, I think you see that just on a scene to scene level, I believe it's the first big scene in the movie is Darth Vader arriving at the death star and he and the kind of head Imperial, they kind of just have like, it's like a walk and talk. Like it's a very like, you know, (laughs) nineties broadcast TV moment, which again, you know, Maybe this sounds nerdy film style stuff, but you really feel the contrast with just some of the amazing dialogue back and forths in Empire where you know you have like Han and Leia walking through the corridors of Hoth and just sparking off each other. So I think I think that's maybe the downturn that you're talking about, Devin, is like, you know, even David Lynch had he taken the job would have been taking directions from from, from, from George Lucas. <laughs> I mean, there's no way he he there, he would have lasted a week. I mean, there's just the f- this, oh, yeah.
1: the first day Lucas saw his dailies or visited on set, like it just it all would have been been his, over. His
3: version of the um, Emperor, I, I will say, the Emperor is almost a Lynchian character, so maybe maybe that would have been his main area. So let's, let's get focus. into that now.
1: So let's let's get into yeah. all the space stuff now, because that <laughs> is the other uh, the other aspect of the movie. Now, I I can't argue. The one thing I cannot argue with Darren about, Lord knows, I wish I could, is that there's nothing cool about second Death Star. I mean, the fact that they that, that that was the big thing. I mean, the fact they did a third Death Star with Starkiller base is just even no, more no, mind no, no, no. That they literally kept going back to it. But second Death Star is not cool. And I would argue as well that Luke versus Vader is a less cool lightsaber battle than Empire Strikes Back. So that does it no favors either in that... And Lord knows if you missed last week's podcast there's a lot of arguing about the the, the Vader Luke lightsaber battle scene from Empire Strikes Back which I was passionately defending as one of the absolute best of all time. Um and and so when this comes right after that it it's it's less cool. It's not as good. And so I understand docking points for that, but I do think there's some good stuff here. Before we get into that, Darren t- tell us your 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 problems with all the the space Death Star space battles. Uh, you know,
3: again, I mean, I think you've, you've hit the nail on the head with the Death Star itself. And, you know, as much as I loved a name I've rarely actually said out loud, so I apologize for, for mispronouncing. As, as much as I loved Nub yeah, yeah. as a kid, <laughs> um, you know, that is – I would say just like categorically not a good space battle scene. Um, and certainly when there's a pretty ready comparison to the original death star trench scene, again with young eyes or old eyes or 80 year old eyes, what are the greatest action scenes in movie history? Um, that's pretty rough now. But now we're getting into the really interesting stuff here, which is the Vader emperor Luke sort of three way face off that's going on. And I think for people who – for anyone who has made the argument that all nine Star Wars movies are the story of Anakin Skywalker, like, this is probably what they come to Return of the Jedi for. And, you know, my own perspective, which goes back to a larger issue I have with this movie, is Darth Vader at the end of of Empire is an inconceivably evil person. He's so evil – he is not only following the directions of a of the Galactic Emperor, he is plotting to overthrow the Galactic Emperor and take over. And he is so blinded by evil, he cuts his own son's hand off and then still communicates with him and says, hey, like, why don't you come join me? Like, that is like, <laughs> that is demented level, you know, stuff. And I think in this movie – what I want watching this as kind of the end of this character, or at least the end of, you know, whatever else comes afterwards, you sort of want to feel like, okay, like where's that guy? Like, how is that guy coming back from everything he's done? And I think the movie right away, it makes it, it makes his redemption seem pretty obvious. And him talking to Luke, you kind of feel like he's already just a less villainous, more, you know, wanting to reach out to his son type of character. And I just don't really buy that. I don't really buy his turn. But even if you do, we have to admit, when he picks up the emperor, (laughs) the emperor, who is so powerful, in my memory... He just sort of keeps holding his hands out and spraying lightning in various ways. And I'm kinda like, you are the Emperor, (laughs) we've just seen you like almost torch Luke Skywalker to death. Like I I think you could do something if somebody picked you up and carried you a few feet. Like I just think to me there's a there's a logic (laughs) issue there that
2: He's like, you found my only weakness, yeah, He's a being crowd carried surfing,
3: like crowd at a frat party or something. Yes, be- being carried by someone. No one's ever tried this in the many years. And, <laughs> and you know, listen, I think um, Ian uh, Ian McDermott, um, McDermott, to me, his great performances really come in the prequels. Like, I think him in Revenge of the Sith, especially, that's just like, you know, just him really nailing this character and just... You know the sort of emotional brutality and love of evil that comes through the, through the emperor, um, and he's having fun here. There's no question, but I think that's that's where I land on that stuff. But but like, like I don't know, do you do, do, does that kind of three part yeah. dual psychological dual work more for you guys as you watch Return of the Jedi? Well,
1: I, I think I think that for me, I understand what you've about Vader. Listen, as I've also argued last week on this podcast. I love Rogue One Vader. I like a badass Vader. I like villain Vader. I want him slicing, dicing, chopping, and choking at all times. So I understand when he's in that when when Luke is first delivered to him, and he's like, "It's too late for me, my son." Like it's it's like it doesn't really get my juices flowing. So I totally get that. But Ian McDermott, I feel is I agree with everything you said about him in the 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 prequel trilogy and especially Revenge of the Sith. I think he's he's so good in these scenes. That it sells everything for me. When he's like, when he starts to get all like sarcastic, like, oh, I'm afraid the deflector shield will be quite (laughs) operational when your friends arrive. I'm like, oh, yes, let's go. When he's just like, so be it, Jedi. Like his line readings are so good and he's so evil. And yes, like Boba Fett getting a lame death, he gets kind of a lame death. And then he gets turned into a clone. Apparently, we don't we don't talk about that. <laughs> we don't talk about that. <laughs> we don't
2: talk about Rise of Skywalker. Somehow, but but Palpatine, to me,
1: the 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 fact that the the lightsaber battle scene is not as good is is made up for by the fact that I think Palpatine and his cool ass Emperor Guard in their red uniforms is so cool that it sells it for me. Uh, Devin, what about you?
2: I do. I really, really like this whole sequence. I think, um, you know, Ian McDermott's performance really elevates this. I, t- I totally agree with you, Dalton. Um, I do agree that it's a less exciting lightsaber battle, but also, like from the very beginning, I mean, like Luke is very much like I don't want to have a lightsaber battle, so it's not like he's like really trying. So I don't think that's. I think that's more of a feature and less of a bug. Um, I, you know, you talked about the space battle. The space battle's kind of lame. I actually like the space although, battle. I'm, I'm surprised you think it's but lame I, too. But, but I'm saying it's lame by comparison. It's it's no trench run, it's no, you know, it's it's not quite up there, but it is still quite fun. But it did give us arguably one of the greatest lines in Star Wars <laughs> yes. history, which is it's a trap. So good. You can't talk about this and not talk about my boy Admiral Akbar who has always been one of my favorite characters in the entire thing. And we're we're just huge fans. We, We love a giant squid dude.
3: Listen, again, like creature design in this movie is not an issue. What the creatures do for me is the bigger issue. And I think that like, you know, there's certain strategic aspects of the battle that I don't think work on a kind of macro level as far as like, I'm gonna get the whole rebel fleet here and just leave a t- tiny platoon of stormtroopers down on Endor uh, watching over the 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 the, the shield generator. Um, I, I think that like, you know, that's all fine. That's all the fun of the war movie like this. But to me, and again, some of this I think comes from, you know, when I was really into Star Wars as a kid, that was really the, as I've discussed, the kind of, you know, age of the expanded universe and this kind of like, you know, broad sweep of what really happens with the Empire and how does it fall and everything like that. Um, just the idea of like, you sort of destroy this one thing and that seems to be the end of the Empire. And that was something that very much came to the fore in the special editions. Like, again, that, that's kind of just getting back to. The sort, of sim- the sort of simplifying of this story that just is not really there in the earlier movies. It's just, you know, not that you'd expect a, like, sad ending necessarily, although but at, at this point in time, there were only two Star Warses and one of them did have a sad ending. But just the idea of, like, Emperor's dead, Darth Vader's saved, we're all alive. I think I fall a little bit more on the Harrison Ford side of things, of, like, maybe one person could have died along the way. <laughs>
1: I really differ a lot from both of you on the space battle. I actually really, really like it. I think it's one of the strengths of the movie. And in some ways, and I realize this is, I guess, my hot take. In some ways, I think it's more exciting than the trench run. I really do. That weird tar- targeting system. And it's just kind of repetitive. More people go in. More people got shot out. I, You know, I do love Porkins. But um, I love the <laughs> fact that they're completely fooled. I love the fact they show up like, yeah, we're gonna get we're gonna take out the Death Star. And they're like, holy S, it's a trap. And they're freaking out and they're arguing about whether they should take on the, 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 uh, whether they should stay or run or take, you know, we're only gonna get another chance at this. Should they take on the uh the star destroyers? Well, We stand a better chance again than against that Death Star, as Lando says. Like it's just like that that stuff just gets me really pumped up. I really, and I like the, I love the scene where you see him actually like fly into it and then blast the reactor core or whatever
2: and fly out. Um, I I actually yeah. really like that space battle. Billy D. Williams is great in this movie. Yeah. Like he's so, he's having so much fun getting to be like the swaggering rebel hero, as opposed to he was more like the, the charming scoundrel in the last one. Like I, he is just having a great time. And I love every second that, that he is on screen. <laughs>
3: I don't. I. I mean, the idea that it's better than the trench run is something I'm sort of struggling with a little bit here. Again, like this <laughs> no, to yeah. me is You're the space insane. battle where it almost seems to be inviting people to grab their B-wing toy and their X-wing toy and their Star Destroyer toy and mash them together. Like I, I don't really feel like you know, there's even the kind of clear line of geography of who's going where and what's happening with the exception of constant cuts back to Lando saying something or to Akbar saying something. And just to me, again, we're coming off of like the Hoth battle, which is another just amazing banger of like, Clearly yes. seeing where everybody is at all times yeah. and knowing just how close these at-ats are coming. So, yeah, I I don't know the the sort of interior of Death Star. Too doesn't work for me the way the way it works for you, Dalton. I I I, I, I wish I could say I wish I could go with you on that journey to the big glowing thing at the at the center of the Death Star.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, so let, let me let me ask Devin anything else you want to ask uh, add about well, this section I of think- the movie.
2: I think there is one thing that we haven't talked about, mm-hmm. which I think we need to talk about, um, which is uh, sister. You, uh, you, you, yeah, uh, Luke, Prince, yeah, you know yeah. that that whole yeah. reveal that that Leia is uh, Luke's sister. How do how do you guys feel about this?
1: I mean, not 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 good. Not the fact that that like breaks Luke temporarily. You know, I not great about it.
2: It also raises so many questions of why, like, Luke is like, I must go confront Vader. I have to save Vader. And and Leia's just like, yeah, have fun. He's not my dad. You know, just like, have fun.
3: <laughs> it's this tough moment that has bizarrely only gotten worse as the franchise has continuously continued on from there. Um, yeah, you know, again, listen, like, um, you know. After Return of the Jedi, just to stay with the movies, I think there's movies that are doing, you know, trying to do some interesting things or movies that are just failing miserably, whatever they're trying to do. But one way or another, they're all kind of living in the shadow of that, where it's like, oh, like this story that had actually seemed to go so many different directions, and this guy's a farm boy from Tatooine and she's a princess and, you know, this huge, massive universe. It does suddenly make it like, oh, I guess actually, like half half of the people are now related to each other, and so if we tell the story before this story, we have to sort of deal with that, and if we tell the story after this story, well, I guess uh, you know maybe Luke and Leia will <laughs> will will see each other once and not talk to each other. It just it it seems to just. The the sort of general ruination in all directions is something that I find tough to deal with. It also, as we all know, makes the book Splinter of the Mind's Eye very strange uh-huh. and very <laughs> very uh, it, it 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 shifts the meaning of what's going on in that book in a very different direction. <laughs> Uh, no longer canon, though, Darren. No longer canon. It's canon. So, uh... It's canon, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> That's canon. Sindel is canon, and uh, what is it? The the Sindel. the, uh, the <laughs> Gorax. The Gorax. The Gorax, <laughs> the Gorax yeah, is the, the only Gorax. canon. Everything else is an imaginary story that the Ewoks are, are telling. What about the power? Is the <laughs> so, power canon? I mean, like the power is as canonical as as it gets. That's that's been lingering in, in, in Maybe, the background of of the Disney films so far. But Andor is going to bring that to the forefront again. I, I know. It.
1: Maybe the Marauders <laughs> were confusing the power with the force. Maybe they thought that would literally just give them the force that they. I don't know what was going on there. Um. So so look, Darren Darren's hot take, which which. Over- overall Devin and I do not agree with is that return of the Jedi is a bad movie. So uh, without, you know, we're not going to sit here and do too long, but real quickly, Darren, how many then post return of the Jedi star Wars movies would you put above return of the Jedi? Like how many would you say are better? All things considered.
3: Great question. Um, You know, I'll just say my own opinion, uh, like the movies from here are not what I would say are like the good parts of Star Wars generally, but um, Revenge of the Sith way above it. Uh, I'd say Force Awakens above it just because the first half hour Force Awakens is such a total blast. Um, Last Jedi definitely above it. I I, I don't love Last. I'm I, I'm no Devin Cogan with the Last Jedi, but I definitely just really love just the <laughs> the style of that movie is like astonishing like by me. comparison. Yeah. Like um, me, yeah. I would even say the two movies that I really don't like, uh, Attack of the Clones and Rise of Skywalker, to me are like both kind of abominable in a way that like if you literally had a gun to my head and were like, "What do you want to watch right now?" I might pick. Attack of the Clones, Um, but not Rise of Skywalker. I think Rise of Skywalker and Phantom Menace still lower to me. And that's just because like, you know, what I do like about Return, as I think I've said a few times, is some of the creature design is really cool. And those are not (laughs) creature design, production design. That's not stuff that I really uh, think about a lot when it comes to Phantom Menace or Rise of Skywalker.
1: Wow. If you'd put Rise of Skywalker above it, Lauren Morgan, I don't even know where she, why well, do you know where she is right now? She would somehow just sense it. She'd use the power and the force and <laughs> she would come onto this podcast recording right now. Just show up like the worst yeah, ghost. The, the, the yeah. one
3: thing Rise of Skywalker has going for it is like the, the, the light speed skipping, like it just moves so fast that like, you know, you're sort of watching a bad part, and you're like, "This is going to be over in a minute." Like something else is happening soon. I, I, I think <laughs> Kerry Russell will show up soon, and like that's that's an advantage that I think the 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 somewhat leisurely pacing of the Endor stuff <laughs> could have could have sped up just a little bit in the Return of the Jedi.
1: <laughs> so uh, basically, where I come out on it is I think that Return of the Jedi is not as good as as Star as A New Hope or Empire Strikes Back, and it has some weaknesses, but it's still for me is an enjoyable movie. Like I see some of the flaws, we've talked about some of the flaws, but I still think there are things about this movie that I really do love. Jabba's Palace, I I do love the space battle. I understand some of the flaws, what's happening on the Death Star, but Ian McDermott's so good that I really, that gets my blood pumping as well. So I still think it's a, it's a it's a really good, although far from perfect movie. What about you, Devin?
2: Oh, I, I wholeheartedly agree. This is easily in my top four, top five of Star Wars movies. I mean, it is it was my favorite. Like I said, when I was a child. It was um, you know, there was just such a sense of adventure to it. It almost feels like the most like a kind of like one of those fantasy movies. And and I, I just there's so many little details that I love. I love everything in Jabba's palace, as we talked about. Um, I love Mark Hamill's performance. It's like kind of weird and bizarre, but like, he's like, I, I kind of love him as like kind of weird, you know, uh, like monk Luke trying to figure out like what a Jedi is and what a should, Jedi should do. Um, I love, you know, I even love some of the Endor stuff. I love the fact that we go to a planet and it looks totally different from all the other planets we've seen before, even if it just looks like Northern <laughs> California. <laughs> <laughs> but like, I, I just I, I really love this film. And I think I, I think it is a little simplistic, by, especially compared to the two films that came before it. But I think um, I, I don't know. I think even especially after the prequels and sequels, I think my my opinion of it has only only improved in, in many ways.
1: Well, let us know what you think. You can be Team Darren or Team uh, Devin and Dalton. Either way, you're going to agree with someone uh, that uh, starts with the letter D. Uh, as great as it has been having Darren on the show, uh, we thought we should invite someone to speak whose name does not actually start with the letter D. So Devin headed over to the uh, Imperial Senate chambers and tracked down Mon Mothma herself, Genevieve O'Reilly. They spoke about uh, the upcoming Disney Plus series and or, and you can hear that discussion right after this quick break.
2: I kind of wanted to start by, you know, this is a character you played for a while now. Take me back to, you know, what do you remember most from your like original process getting involved in Revenge of the Sith? What what do you remember about that casting process?
0: I remember it very fondly actually. I was very young, very green. I think I was just out of drama school. They gave me a scene to read. People have asked me over the years if they asked me to to do Caroline's lines from Return of the Jedi, but they didn't. They were really kind. And I just read a scene and I remember really leaning into that scene in Return of the Jedi, really listening to her, her voice in particular, because they were going to, they created the wig and the costume that, that creates a, a bit of a connection to the character. But I really remember working on her voice and then playing those scenes in that. Getting to work alongside of Natalie Portman and George Lucas and being a part of that world for a moment. And while it didn't make it to the cinema screens, I still hold those scenes in my cellular memory. I still remember what it was like. So I kind of carry those scenes with me with Mon Mothma.
2: You've now played her, you know, there and, you know, in Rogue One. You've done some voice work with Rebels. What excited you the most about sort of getting This is sort of her time in the spotlight. We sort of get to figure out who she is behind closed doors.
0: You know, previously we have seen her in the different iterations uh, that she has been a part of in the different films. But yet, I think it's okay to say that they were moments. This time in Andor, we really get to develop her as a character, and we get to learn about her not just as a senator, but as a woman, what her life is like, what she has to wrestle with, what are the dangers to her life, what it costs to be her. And Tony's writing is so intricate. It is so taught. It is so, it, it, it lives in this world of uh, a spy genre, of, of a sociopolitical drama, and yet set within a Star Wars world, So it feels universal and intimate all at once.
2: Yeah, that makes so much sense. I mean, for you, what were some of the unanswered questions about Mon Mothma that you were like most excited to kind of get to dive into?
0: I was always interested in her. And each time I go to play her, I go back to that scene that Caroline did in Return of the Jedi, just to remind myself of how they originated her, Caroline and George. And... There's a very famous line that fans say all the time when they refer to Mon Mathma, which is, many Bodhans died to bring you this news. And you can see when Caroline does that in that scene, for me, there was always a pain at the heart of it. You could see that she was carrying a pain, and I was really curious about what that was. What has happened in this woman's life? What has it cost to be her? What are the sacrifices that she has had to make along the way to be that leader of a rebellion? And I've been interested in finding ways to carry that through at different times. But what Andor allows us to do is really investigate that. What is that? What has she had to sacrifice? How does she get to Rogue One and stand there and introduce Cassian to Jin and say, go, go and do this, knowing that they will probably die. How do you call on someone to make that sacrifice? What have you had to do to get there? That's what interests me about her.
2: Yeah, I imagine that must be so rewarding for you as an actor to get to sort of play her at all these different points in her life and sort of we see her in different ways
0: Yeah. And in Andor, we meet her in the Imperial Senate. We see her talking to senators and then we meet her at home with her husband. We see the public and the private. We see her literally and figuratively take off her cloak and reveal herself as a woman in a way we've never seen before.
2: I've seen up to episode four and we get to see a little bit of, you know, um, her at home, you know, from the trailer, we've seen some things from the Imperial Senate. Tell me a little bit about walking onto some of those sets. Like, what is it like to sort of be in some of those like Star Wars spaces?
0: Well, this feels wonderfully unique. And it is in the vein of Rogue One where we have very practical sets. They are built as tactile environments so we can engage with it. Our uh, production designer, Luke Hull, is just a magician. Those sets are extraordinary. I remember walking into the set where you first meet Mon Mathma um, in andor in Luthen's Gallery. And that was jaw droppingly beautiful. It was genuinely breathtaking. Not just the architecture of the building that Luke created the pieces in the gallery. Stalin and I were like kids in a playground. We were so happy. We were like, look at this one. Have you seen this? What is this? Where has this come from? And you could kind of see with all these artifacts in one gallery space that they had built and created, you could see a whole universe. You could see Different planets, different cultures, different times. It's an amazing thing as an actor to get the opportunity to inhabit a space like that, to get to breathe it, and for it to be able to inform your performance.
2: Yeah, I imagine it makes your job easier when you're walking into a space like that, and you don't have to do all that. You're not, you know, acting with a tennis ball or you know, like a, a blue screen in front of you.
0: For me, I think it elevates the performance because you get to see a real character acting in a real world, in a tactile environment, and how that space affects the characters and how the space itself is a character.
2: Absolutely. And you mentioned, you know, working with Stellan Skarsgård, who's so extraordinary in this. Tell me a little bit about what it was like on set with him.
0: Stellan is so special. He's fun. He's witty. He's intelligent. He's a great conversationalist. Him and I, we could really play together. I think he will be wonderful as Luthen because Luthen has so many different faces, right? And he will really step into that. I'm excited for fans to see that.
2: And, you know, you've worked with Diego now, both on Rogue One and on this. Tell me a little bit about what's it like on set with him?
0: Diego is first and foremost an extraordinary and a very celebrated actor, but he's also a beautiful human being. He's a very generous leader. He's intensely collaborative. He's full of magic. He's a wonderful person to be around. And he is a great leader. And I think it's so wonderful to have him and all of his charisma woven into Cassian Andor to lead this piece. We are all satellites around Andor, really. This is a, There's a wide ensemble cast. And with Tony Gilroy's writing, it of course is deeply interconnected and, and interwoven. But at its heart is Cassian Andor driving it. And no better human being to do it than Diego Luna.
2: Yeah, that's one of the interesting things about this series is you have all these sort of moving pieces and all these different characters and you sort of see how they, they interact and, and overlap in places. I imagine that would be such a fun world to play in.
0: Yes, and I'm looking forward personally for me to see how that continues in season two. Um, I'm excited to see where they take um, Mon Mothma and those collisions and and how things interconnect and collide going forward as well.
2: Well, thank you so much um, for
0: taking the time to speak with me. And I cannot wait to see the rest of the show. Thank you. You're going to love it.
1: Our thanks to Genevieve O'Reilly and to our own Darren Franich for joining us this week. We love discussing and debating this franchise. We hold so dear to our hearts and we hope you love listening to it. If you could tell your friends about the podcast, that would be awesome. And if you could rate the podcast and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and become part of our dysfunctional family, that would be awesome as well. Also hit us up on social media. You can follow Entertainment Weekly on all socials at EW on Twitter and at Entertainment Weekly everywhere else. You can also tag and follow us at Dalton Ross, at Devin Cogan, and at Morglore. Thanks so much, everyone. We'll do it again next
2: week. This episode of Dagobah Dispatch is hosted by Dalton Ross, Devin Cogan, and Lauren Morgan. Produced by Chanel Johnson and Sammy Junio. Edited by Sammy Junio. Full episode transcripts are available at EW.com. Thanks for listening.